Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. Thanks, Andy, so good to have you. So glad you're here. Welcome, welcome. And I want to say welcome to all of you joining us in St. Charles and DeKalb and Aurora and Streamwood. So good to be together. This is going to be a great time hearing an incredible story. So uh, Andy, before we jump into the really like exciting parts, let's, let's get to know you a little bit. Just tell us a bit about your life right now. So where are you living right now? Crossville, Tennessee. Okay, so Tennessee. And what do you do for a living? Uh, husband and wife realtor team. So, <clears throat> if anybody wants better taxes, just kidding. <laughs> We, we don't need any more people to leave the state of Illinois, so don't get any ideas. Um, so you're married. Uh, tell us a bit about your wife and your family. Uh, beautiful, godly woman. Uh, believe it or not, we met online. 18 years of marriage. Uh, met through the ministry, and uh, that got me out of Minnesota, so much better weather. Um, got two beautiful kids. They're teenagers. One's a week away from driving. The other one's driving. So a uh, boy and girl, almost 16 and 17, so... And all serving in the church, and I have it no other way. Oh, very, very cool. blessed. Very cool. Very blessed. Where, where is uh, your your favorite place on earth? Where 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 do you like to be? On the boat, fishing with my wife. Okay. All yep. right. And uh, we're talking about living like the world's going to end. So if if it was going to end on Tuesday, what'd be on your bucket list? What would you want to do? Without the price tag, <laughs> on a cruise to Bora Bora. Bo- a cruise to Bora Bora. <laughs> all right. All right. Very cool. Well. Um, one of the main characters in your story here is the, the mountain lion. And while many of us know of mountain lions, most of us probably don't know a whole lot. Like, for instance, just this week, I learned that a cougar, a mountain lion, a puma, and a panther are all the same thing. That's that, the names for the same creature. Tell us some more about mountain lions that will help us understand this story. Since you work out all the time, Obviously. If, you're, if, you're in a, if pastor's in a weight room... And he puts, puts 100 pounds in his mouth, and he starts, and he sprints a football field without using his hands at any time. You don't drop that weight out of your mouth. At the end of that football field, I know there's a goalpost, but at the end of the football field, a basketball rim is 10 feet high. So with that weight, you sprint that field, and you jump onto that basketball hoop with that weight in your mouth. You haven't used your hands at all. That's the power of these animals. Wow. They can jump. Uh, basketball court is 50 by 100 feet. They can stand at the half-court line. So, Pastor, if you stood right there at half-court without a running start and jumped as far as you could on a standstill, just jump. Mountain lions can get about 10 feet from the other side. Just wow. the power is, is remarkable. Um, they, hunt, they, they hunt solo. They've been tracked from Maine, Minnesota to Maine. They follow deer. Deer is their favorite uh, food. They can take down an elk, a moose, a porcupine. Imagine that. Um, they can run in a standstill at 50 miles an hour. Usain Bolt, uh, the fastest guy in the Olympics, clocked was 28 miles an hour, so really double human speed. Um, and males can get 200, pound, or two, uh, 200 pounds, females 150 pounds. Unbelievable. Just, Unbelievable. Yeah. So you, you encountered one of these. Why, why don't you, let's just jump in. You tell us how that happened. I was out in Denver, Colorado on April 30th, 1998. Uh, I was uh, almost 21 years old living out there, and, and I woke up that morning, had errands to do, but my favorite, my favorite park was 15 miles southwest of Denver, and it was called Roxborough State Park. And this park was 
was cool to me because there was no bikes, horses, uh, uh, dogs, nothing. Just you and your hiking boots really um, are allowed on this trail. And this trail had, or this park had four trails. It was a north and a south trail, small, maybe about a mile, and then they had a little small one if you want in a hurry or maybe couldn't walk too good, a little half-mile trail. My favorite was Carpenter's Peak Trail that did a 3.2-mile trail up to the top, and it was a 45-degree angle, about a 1,000-foot incline. And up on top is just breathtaking, just amazing, because you can sit up on top and you can look east as far as your eyes will take you, and you see Denver, Interna Denver International Airport, and past that, the plains, as far as your eyes will go. Um, that's an hour drive to the airport. Uh, if you look north, you follow the red rocks and the foothills and the mountain ranges all the way up to the north side, and you see uh, Estes Park, Boulder, Rocky Mountain National Park is up that way. Everything west and south of you is, is the big 14ers, 14,000-foot uh, mountain peaks, you know, the snow peaks. I mean, just panoramic view of them. It's just, it's just, it's just stunning, just a stunning view. Uh, and so I started this trail, a, a clear blue sky, gorgeous, no wind whatsoever. It was, it was 80 degrees out. I had a, t it was warm enough, tied my shirt around my pack and, and uh, started the trail and said hi to the rangers and, and up I went and passed one gentleman and, and I got about a little bit from the top, you know, 100 yards from the top and four ladies were on their way down and I couldn't even look at these ladies and give them a sincere hello. I was so worried about myself. I was so into, oh, I want the top by myself. I want, you know, this is kind of my spot, my trail. And, and uh, they were on their way down, didn't give them much attention at all. And I sat up on top, had an orange and, and drank half the water bottle. And, okay, I got errands to do. I got I to gotta get going, you know, and, and scooted down the trail. And, and uh, yeah, my nice mullet that I worked so hard. <laughs> <laughs> so started down the trail. And... Uh, right not far from the trail and the trail is one to two feet wide and it, the scrub oak is so tight that you have to basically stay right on this trail um, the brush is so tight especially up at the top so I'm on my way down and two white and purple flowers just caught my 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 eyes and it stopped me and it, all of a sudden a little breeze came over the the mountain ridge and and a, and a bigger breeze and these clouds little pockets of clouds came and it took my eyes down the trail and underneath this small little pine tree I saw this big brown fur and I, I, I realized it's not a German Shepherd, Fox, a, it's a mountain lion. It's right there. It's a mountain lion. And you could see under that, but you could hear the snapping sounds of whatever it had under the tree uh, eating. It, it, you know, they sever the spine and break the vertebrae. They go for the head and neck area. Um, so whatever it had under that tree, it was just snapping the bones, and you could hear that breaking. Um, and so I got to sit and watch this lion for a while. I'm just waiting for this thing to look at me. And... and Sadly, at the time, it was a felony to carry a firearm in State or National Park, which is just stupid, but that's a whole other thing. But I had, I had a little, little multi-purpose knife, and I realized I've got to do something or this thing. If it sees me, I'm in trouble. And so I took this knife out, and I kind of made this makeshift weapon and fold out all the blades and the screwdriver part in this, in this makeshift weapon, you know, multi-knife. And I realized half of them are just going to hit me in my gut if, if we start wrestling or fighting. So I started folding these blades and, the, and still watching this line. And the screwdriver part slipped out of my fingers and slapped into the case and echoed on the mountains. And I glanced down at the noise and I looked right back up quick to keep my eyes on this line. And so fast, in a blink of an eye, this line's gone. It's gone. And I started panicking. Where'd he go? Where'd he go? And the trail did a U-shape. And further down the trail, right there, you could see just right around the, 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 the brush, 
two eyes absolutely just grab you and pull you in as crisp and vivid and clear and, and bold as, as, as I've ever looked in, in, in a pair of eyes. Just lock on. And it's like your life just stopped. And we're just staring at each other for about seven, ten minutes. And I realize I'm just backing up. I, I, I don't want to be a threat. I don't want, you know, I'm, I'm out. Um, and so as soon as I started backing up, that scrub oak kind of broke our line of sight. And in the blink of an eye, that mountain lion was right in front of me. One launch what was right in front of me. The head came above my waist, and, and you could, the ears were down in a pounce position. The, the teeth was open. You could see or the mouth was open, the four dominant teeth. The, uh, the, the eyes had the black and the fur. And just, I mean, it was just sitting there, just, just locked on, watching my every move. And I took one step down the trail, because to get down the visitor center parking lot, it's past this lion. That's the only way I could get out of here. Um, and, and so otherwise I'm back into the mountains, and I did not want to get any further. I had three miles to get down to the mountain. And I'm like, somebody's got to be coming up this trail. So where is everybody? And so I kind of took one step down, and the line to get the advantage immediately jumped on the uphill side. And it's almost like we're just changing spots. And as soon as this line took one more step, bam, slammed into me, knocked the pack off of me, not, um, got the claws in just enough to get the blood going, and it just few feet off the trail. Thankfully, I got out of the claws, and I jumped back up on the trail. The line launched, missed. 90 yards down the trail, I'm running. I have the pack and my shirt in front of me. I'm just screaming. This mountain lion's just walking, no effort whatsoever, just walking right with me, and I'm just screaming, back off, back off, get away from me. And as loud as I could scream at this line, didn't even phase it, just walking right with me, locked on. And at the end of 90 yards, it was almost like three boulder steps, you know, like, like half of these altar steps, just three-foot drop. And I stood at the top of those uh, right before I had to jump down, and I took a swing with the pack, and it's just like the lion knew I was going to swing. And Pastor, he just kind of backed up, you know, just in, in, and so I had the knife in my hand, and as hard as I could, swung. And again, it just went right by its nose and its eyes, like just backed up, like he knew I was going to do this, and, and backed up. And so I realized somebody's got to be coming up this trail soon. Where's, where is people? And so I jumped down the three-foot drop, just slowly going to try to make it down the trail. And as soon as I did, that, me and that line were eye to eye, same height. And that line launched and slammed into me with such force and such power. And we, we landed off the mountainside, uh, took two three-inch diameter trees and snapped them off like toothpicks. And loud, 10 feet down, the back of the line slammed up against this big bush. You heard this big thud. And, the, and I was on my knees. The bottom jaw was in the top of the forehead. The top of the jaw was in the back part of the head. The claws you could feel start popping uh, on my neck, just pop, 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 and you could feel the claws come out because they retract their claws, so they got 20 razor-sharp claws, but you could feel those and just get pulled down like this vice grip, and, and I'm just locked into this. I couldn't move, and the harder the, the line pulled me down, the harder it was for me to move my, my legs and my arms, and, and I had that knife in there, and I could see the tooth right here, a couple drops of blood, so I knew he got me up on the head, and I started as hard as I could going for the, for the neck, and you could see the fur fly, and, and I, couldn't, I, I couldn't get into that fur. So I started swinging at the top of the head, and it, all of a sudden I heard that uh, uh, something wasn't right. You know, and, and, and I looked, and, and the knife didn't have a lock on it. And it, So every time I'm punching this line, trying to get it to let go of me, the knife blade was going through my hand. And, and I reach, and all of a sudden, you know, 
two bites right on top of my head. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get, I can't get out of this lion. I, ca I can't get out of the grasp at all. And, and all of a sudden, I realize I'm in trouble. I'm in real trouble because I'm locked in like this vice grip. And, and, I, and I can't get out. And I can't get out. And with that swing, you know, all I heard was... Four more bites. Four more bites. I had to helplessly sit up there and listen to. I'm like, somebody's got to be coming up this mountain. I'm 24 years old. I don't want to die. This is, you know, how I treated my family and my and my mom and my, you know, make her cry and my dad and and uh, my grandma I took money from her and all these people started. All this stuff started flashing through my head. All these people that I hurt. Over the years, I, I, I don't want to leave. At least let me give me a second to say I'm sorry to these people. I don't want to leave like this, you know, this, this pothead punk who, who wrecked, you know, made people mad and sad and wrecked their lives just to try to get ahead. And I'm sitting there with all these thoughts flying through. And I'm like, somebody's got to come up this trail and help me. Somebody, you know, and I had no idea what to do. And then uh, after the four bites, all I saw was red. And I knew my time was limited. I knew it, it, it was disappearing fast. I knew at this was the most real moment of my life that I have ever felt before. This wasn't a game. If I don't get out, I'm done. That's it. 24 years old, I'm done. And I, had, I, I didn't know what to do. And God, help me! So I scream out to this God that I mocked all my life. I scream out to this God. I knew he was there. I just... I, I didn't follow him for nothing, didn't care, didn't want to. My dad was Christian for 10 years, and I thought he was a Jesus freak. You know, I didn't want nothing of it. I didn't know what to do. I just scream out to this God locked into this lion's mouth. God, help me. All right, everybody, take a deep breath. <laughs> We're going to stop there. We'll come back. But it helps to understand this moment by going back and hearing a bit about your life, Andy. So why don't, why don't we go back to the beginning? Tell us a bit about your family growing up. Uh, the easiest way to put it is, is like the Brady Bunch. Um, if you ever saw the Brady Bunch show, that's basically it. My parents got divorced when I was in preschool. I heard the, the yelling and the fighting and the slamming doors. And, and so they, you know... One wanted money, one didn't want, and, and uh, lifestyle, and it just didn't work. And dad left, ended up uh, marrying who was my stepmom today in kindergarten. And I have two adopted brothers out of that marriage. Why they adopted? Because their dad was abusive, and this was a way for my dad to protect them. And my mom remarried in fourth grade and to my stepdad today, and that I got three stepbrothers out of the deal. I have one real sister out of the marriage, um, out, of, out of the whole Brady Bunch mess. Um, and it wasn't terrible because I had four Christmases out of the whole deal. So <laughs> it, was, it wasn't all bad, you know. And, uh, but uh, I will tell you, that, let nobody tell you that divorce doesn't in some way affect a kid. Um, or a child, because one, one week I'm over at my mom's house and I have to act like this kind of kid with these kind of rules and this is allowed, this isn't allowed, and then the, the next week I'm over here at my dad's and same thing, this is allowed, and oh wait, I got to do this and, and these kind of rules, and back and forth, back and forth to where it just starts tearing you in half and, and starts splitting to where you know, I don't even know what family's supposed to be. I couldn't tell you how many times we ever even sat down together as a family. It didn't happen, um, let alone for dinner, really, a few times, you know, not, it just it just kind of started making you cold, and I call it the onion effect because I, I I just kept putting walls up just so I'm protected, so I'm not hurt here, I'm not hurt there, and and I was just starting to search, 
And I just started searching for something solid, something secure in life. Um, because the family, it, it, it wasn't. Yeah. At any point growing up, did you have any experience of religion? What was that like in your home? Other than getting dragged to Methodist, Catholic Church, Lutheran Church, Assemblies Church. I mean, you name it. You name the label. We got dragged to it. Um, it didn't make much sense to me. I was taught God's up here and I'm down here and that's that. And if something good happens, then uh, uh, I'd be like, about time and something you know bad happens is well what's up with that you know and and that was it you know I just I'm down here on my own trying to trying to survival of the fittest almost and if brother dropped 20 bucks well, thanks you know or somebody dropped some money and oh my lucky day type thing and so luck actually stands for living under Christ's kingdom <laughs> <laughs> you you were introduced to drugs and alcohol pretty early uh, t tell us about that yeah, my first beer, believe it or not, and I thought it was okay because mom and dad partied, you know, and, and uh, um, first beer I took off the counter in kindergarten was my first taste of liquor was kindergarten. We had a liquor cabinet. Why can't I taste it? And that was my first taste of liquor. Fifth grade, I started, to, I, I started buying cigarettes from my, my stepbrother. Um, in seventh grade, I got introduced to marijuana and uh, a lot more powerful today. But uh, I loved it. You know, it was just, it, it kind of became my comfort zone. It kind of became me, um, my thing. I was still in sports. I hit it very well. But er I, everywhere I went, I wanted to be high. Um, I don't, I guess you could call it my escape, but I knew what I was doing um, the whole time. And, and, uh, and, and as I grew older, I wanted more potent, more potent weed, you know, dope. I wanted it h harder and, and longer high and, and things like that. And and so the hardcore stuff, the hallucinogens, the, the cocaine, the acid, the mushrooms, all that stuff kind of came into play 11th, 12th grade before high school ended. Um, and so, and to me, it was, you know, no big deal because um, it just kind of became who I was, my party yeah. life, you know. Yeah. Uh, when, when high school ended, you moved out to Colorado at, at some point as a young adult. Um, but you didn't have a job. You didn't have money to go out there. So how did you actually fund that? How did you, you have money to, to move out there? I knew Grandma had money. Yeah. I knew she had money. And so I kind of played the, oh, you know, grands, grandson, oh, sorry me, you know. And I went to Grandma's, and I said, Grandma, you know, I'm moving to Colorado. And had a buddy out there. I went on a solo trip out west after high school, you know, uh, Montana, Colorado, back Arizona, back through to Minnesota. And I just loved it. I loved it out there. Plus, you know, when you're sitting there, no matter whether you're living for the Lord or not, you're, you think you're so full of yourself that nobody can tell you anything or, or advice, and you're sitting there making your mom cry or yelling at and fighting with dad all the time, and, and you know, you're just clashing so hard with family. Um, it was one of those just time to get away and go make it on my own and find my own life. And, and so I showed up at Grandma's house, and, you know, I, I need some money. Grandma, I'm moving. Can I get a little bit of money? And, and she didn't even hesitate. She turned around and opened her checkbook, wrote a check. I didn't see it. She just folded it in half. I put it in my pocket, hoped for 500000 bucks or something. Um, and uh, off I went and, and had everything packed up and, and uh, at my brother's apartment. And, you know, we got high as can be. And he comes in at midnight. I had everything packed in the U-Haul. And he says, hey, is that your car? And I said, oh, yeah, I'm moving. That's right. We were so high, we, I forgot I was moving. And, uh, you know, the drugs just kind of keep, devil keeps hooking you, you know, and the party lifestyle. And, and so I'm driving to Colorado, and halfway there I realize, hey, I got some money. So I'm filling up the U-Haul with gas, and I, I look in my wallet, and 
open that checkout, and here staring a almost 21-year-old kid with no job, no, no, no school, no goals, no nothing lined up. It was a check for $10,000. Wow. You don't give a kid $1,000 if he has nothing ready to go um, lined up. And, and so I, of course, I'm, hey, party's on me. I'm buying. So I called my buddy out there, and I said, I'm almost there, and rolled into, roll into uh, Colorado, and first night, we get to, uh, we, hey, party's on me. I said, get a big old bag of marijuana so I don't have to worry about it. And, and we went clubbing, and we tore up the town. Every club and adult club we could find, we hit. And we go to this one, and he says, careful here, there's police here. And so we're, we're, we're tequila shots going, and the cocaine lines are going, and, and we leave this par- party or the bar and, and early in the morning. And the next thing I realize, I got a guy... Um, don't even remember what he said or, or if he even looked at me. I just got him down, face down in the, in the pavement. And I remember, you know, wait, he said, don't mess around because the cops are all over this place down here. And so I threw him kind of off to the side, and I took off and ran to my little red sports car. And right then the passenger door opened, and right then was my buddy got in. What I didn't know was the guy that I tackled, his friend tackled my buddy, and my buddy broke his fall with his face split it wide open. So he jumps in my car. I don't know if he's shot or stabbed. He's just bloods everywhere, all over. Um, and so I panic, and I can't find a hospital or apartment. I, I don't know where I'm going. Denver's huge. I'm just first night there. And so I'm driving all over town, just kind of panicked, and, you know, don't die, man. Don't die. I'll get you help. Some, and all of a sudden, the road, the, the middle lines disappeared, and the curb got a little bigger, and the road kind of curved off to the left, and, the, and the, you know, the uh, the walls kind of came up, and I see at the end of this road this, this food truck-shaped vehicle coming at me. And I'm like, hey, you silly, you're going right towards me, man. And what I didn't realize is as the light bar on top of, of all vehicles and ambulance, as we came about two feet from having a head-on collision, but it was I that was so drunk and high, I was going the wrong way on an off-ramp of the main north-south interstate in Denver, Colorado, where they're going 80 miles an hour. I'm going the wrong way. Very thankful for that ambulance because I could have killed a family or, or kids or new baby or mom or what have you. I'd hate to see what would have happened if I got on that interstate. Yeah. Um, How long did the 10 grand last? When I came back partying from, from California, and I was going 130 miles in my car, um, as fast as I could get back because I went out there to, to uh, trailer of guys I didn't even know. Um, crack cocaine was out there, so what did I have to lose? I was running a fast lane, and I was on a dangerous, dangerous path. Um, and I got back to the apartment, and I, in the mail, as the bills keep piling up, in the mail I checked, and there's a, a letter from my bank, and I opened it up, and it said, insufficient funds. Pastor, in three months... I drank and smoked away $10,000. Wow. Wow. At, at this point, your, your story reminds me of a, a story that Jesus told, the, the story of the, the prodigal son, uh, the story of a, a kid who says to his family, hey, give me the, my share of the money. I'm, I'm out of here. He doesn't want to live with his dad. He doesn't want to be with his family. So he heads out, goes to a far country, and he just, he wastes it all. He spends it all on parties and wild living, and before long, it's gone. Now, when Jesus told that story, he was telling it as a, a metaphor of our lives. Not every one of us has run away or gotten into drugs or whatever, but he says, you know, this is really what it looks like for any of us to go our way instead of God's way. 
You know, we, we head off here and we say, God, I don't need whatever it is that you, you're telling me I need to do. I'm, I'm going to do my own thing. And that might look like feeding our ego or controlling people around us or lust or sex or wh- whatever it is. We say, I want that. doesn't matter what you say. And so Jesus tells that story. He says, that, that doesn't lead anywhere good. That just leads to rock bottom. It's going to destroy you eventually. But when Jesus told that story, it was a metaphor. But for you, this was, this was your literal story. That's exactly what you did. At any point in that, did you think about God? Did you say, what, what am I doing? I knew he was there, but I, I, I took bits and parts when I needed them. Like, okay, Lord, need a little help here type thing. I had no idea, and I, and I hate religion. I had no idea it's about relationship, none whatsoever. Um, had no clue. Nobody told me. Nobody, nobody shared it as simple as that. You know, Jesus loves us enough to where, okay, best friend, Lord, and Savior, Jesus. I just have to trust him. You know, we trust so many things. I trusted a pile when I got, when I came up here. You know, you don't go meet him. You just go sit down and you go 30,000 feet in the air. Hello. Um, you know, but you trust him to take you way up there. Um, shuttle or what have you. You know, you get in there. You don't know the person. You just get in the car and you hope, you know, they're Okay. But you trust them. I mean, you trust these people every day of all kinds of things with your life. But, you know, I never, never knew you could trust somebody who just wants to love and provide for you. Yeah. yeah. Let's get you a little bit closer to the mountain line again. So at some point you become a park ranger. How, how'd that happen? Went out to Colorado. And, and so when I was living out there and I was dead broke, I found all these odd jobs, uh, loading semis and uh, cleaning professionally. And, and uh, you know, the devil always tries a hook. And, and I kept getting fired from these jobs because I'd wake up and want to go party instead, you know, instead of going to work. And, and uh, so I found this odd job. And, and the devil always hooks you because uh, I ended up desperate. I had bills. I was really desperate, and I show up at this construction site, and this contractor there, you know, um, you know, I walk up to him, and and he's like, "Fine, keep this place spotless, ten bucks an hour," and and it just so happens of all the construction sites in Denver, that here's the devil just laughing, cause, and I have no idea, but the guy that I paired up with to do a steel stud framing for uh, as an apprentice um, to help him had that some of the best weed in Denver. Had no idea. He became my best friend. You know, I was hooked up. I thought this was great, you know, um, my big day type thing. And so, you know, but I got fired from that job. And, and I knew, wait, I got to tap into that family money somehow. I, I, I don't want to crawl home like a loser. Like, I can't do it. Oh, mom, dad, you know, I need, I, I came out here to prove myself and to try to make something myself and get away from all that family drama and, and so I went in, and if there's any engineers, I, God bless you, because I couldn't sit, you know, two weeks after doing, trying to do that. I was stir-crazy, and, and, uh, and so I, I was going through the, the college program, and I went, ooh, park ranger, camping, fishing, boating, hiking, that's more of my style. Get me outside, you know, I, I meet all kinds of people, and I loved it. Um, and that's kind of what got my foot in the door working at Chatfield State Park, which is the, the, the park, you know, um, downtown Denver. You get 400 boats, eight-hour shift. You got hot air balloons, horses, bikes, all kinds of stuff, which is why I loved Roxborough, because it was quiet, you know, tranquil. It was a peaceful little getaway from everything. Yeah. All right, so let's go back to the mountain lion attack. It's got you in its jaws. You're crying out to God, how'd you get away? So I'm, 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 I'm literally locked in, and I, am, I, I can't move, and it's tight as can be. 
and I scream. I didn't know what else to do. There was nobody around. I knew my life was ending, and, and I just scream out, God, help me. God, help me. You know, I'm screaming out to this God. I hope he hears me. I, and because he, he turned his ear to me when I'm crying and showed me mercy, I heard this, don't give up, son. You know, God, God, God had a plan for me well before I was born, you know, for all of us. And, and uh, I, I, you know, don't give up. You keep fighting for that life I gave you. And, and it just gave me this adrenaline boost. Okay, I'll, I'll fight for everything I got. And I reached over our head, still locked, my head still locked in this lion's mouth, and I undid the knife out of my hand, and, and I reached back, and I felt two bumps. And as hard as I could, I realized it was the, the lion's eyes. And as hard as I could, I shoved my thumb past the eyelid, around the eyeball, the back muscle, as hard as I could, I'm just shoving it, just let go, let go, let go, you know, and, and I have the knife now open, and, and uh, through, the, through the blood, you could see the tooth, and as hard as I could, I started just swinging, um, wasn't hurt, worried about hurting me, and, and I'm swinging, hoping this thing, just let go, and, and as soon as I connected, this loud squeal-type chirp uh, just echoed, and the, the claws loosened up on my neck, you know, popped up, popped out, and the jaws loosened up on my head, and I threw my head back up, and I jumped back up on the trail, you know, up the mountain, and the lion's sitting there 10 feet down looking off to my right, looking sideways. The side is all bloody. The eye's all gray and mushy, and, and I realized hey, I got to do something, so I started whipping all these baseball-sized rocks at this lion, and I saw this basketball-sized rock, and I whipped it. Uh, I dug it out of the dirt, you know, I was sitting there halfway in the dirt, and I pulled that out and whipped it at the line and slammed up against this line. It shuffled down a few more feet. Now go, 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 go. From the time I first saw this line, Pastor, to now I'm running almost three miles for my life. 30 minutes went by wow. fighting. And I'm running down. It was the end of April. There were snow drifts. I didn't know how bad I was torn up or how bad, you know, everything, my neck was ripped apart or how bad my, my head was. I, I could move my... My, I could move my legs, and I could see, and just run, just run, man. And I'm looking back, hoping, please don't chase me. Please don't chase me. And I'm grabbing the snow, throwing it up. It's immediately dropping down red. The, the blood drops are dropping all over the trails and my legs and shoes. And try to drink a water bottle. I couldn't swallow. I knew my throat was ripped apart. And so I'm running down this trail, just please don't chase me. And the last mile of this trail, to me, is where my life started where my life, it, it, where this is, to me, the center of my story. This is the bread and butter of my story, the foundation of it. Because this big set of ponderosa pine trees kind of shaded the trail, and I took off running through these trees, and it did like an L shape. And at the corner of that L, when I'm running, I turned back around and looked over my shoulder, and right there in the corner of that tree, there's that mountain lion staring right at me again. And, and, and I did two more steps, and I went, oh, you got to be kidding me. No more, no more, man, no more. And when I turned around, just waiting to see this lion launched in the air to take me out. Because if I don't turn around, all that fight was for nothing. It's just going to slam right back in my, you know, and it's and grab into my back of my head and neck. And now I can't really do much. And so when I turned around, instead of seeing that lion's face, I saw this transparent face of Jesus. And I know Oprah asked me, well, how do you know it was Jesus? <laughs> when I saw that sweet face running for my life from this line, 24 years old. I've ran all my life, but at that moment when I saw his face, the peace rushed through me was so real and so complete, like, like nothing could touch me, like this man was in full control. 
He had full authority. It was, it was so, so amazing, that peace that I could experience. I mean, just, it, it just flooded me. I didn't want to leave. It's like, I got you, son. It's like I just got picked up and just held. I, said, I got you. The fear of that line was instantly gone. I got you. You want a second chance in life? Go on. Get down this mountain. Start living for me. So I turn, and I'm just watching them. The switchbacks is, I'm just watching my legs just fly now. I now had help running down this mountain. This man now is, I'm just watching my legs fly, and he's helping me. I, I ran in, and a couple's sitting there, and I'm screaming, help, 911, call, lion and lion, and they set me down, and I realized I got to keep going. So I, I pulled away from them and kept running, and four, two of those sweet ladies, and I ran right by them again. Now, all of a sudden, they came running up to me, and they were driving out of the park, heard me screaming, turned around, and, and ran back into that trail, and now they had an arm over each shoulder, walked, basically helping me out, Got to the visitor center. The helicopter, flight for life, rescue helicopter came and, and uh, you know, uh, had me all strapped up and felt like my feet were going to explode. An uh, eight-minute helicopter ride, a Swedish medical center downtown. And, and the, the uh, surgeon was there for 20 years in the ER. He's never used two staple guns. So I guess I set some type of record because I got 74 staples in the two feet of bite marks just in my hair alone. Uh, they couldn't shave my hair, and he forgot to take a pre-op photo. He said, you shook us up a little bit. You know, you messed up my game. I, I've never forgot to take a pre-op photo. And uh, 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 so 74 staples, I don't know how many stitches in my face, shoulders, neck here. And, uh, you know, the, 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 after four days, a surgeon comes in. And he goes, son, I hope you know by the grace of God you are walking out of this hospital room. Mm. You got a second chance. My mom came out and visited me, and of course she starts crying as soon as she sees her boy, you know, and uh, she comes to the hospital room, and then this dad, you know, and that was me and dad. That's the best way I can describe it. You know, we talked maybe a couple times a year at best, a couple minutes, you know, weather, uh, sports, whatever. Yeah, good talk. And he came into the hospital room, and he said, everybody out, I want to talk to my son. And he said, yeah, you got some scars like the old man, but how you doing in here? I said, I don't know, Dad. So that night in the hospital room, he sits on this couch and this little light in this hospital room, and he starts sharing with me about how 10 years ago he was so tired, that he was so tired of, of just, just the world just pounding on his shoulders every day, how he's got to try to fix everything, and he can't do it anymore, and he was just exhausted. And he just said, I just put it all at the foot of the cross. And God gave me this peace. And as bad as I wanted to kick him out, I couldn't, I couldn't, because that peace he just shared with me was the same peace that I felt running for that, from that lion. And, 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 and so that night we said what's called the sinner's prayer. You know, Dad, we prayed and I gave my heart to the Lord, but that's what I gave God. What Dad didn't know, God knew, but what Dad didn't know was this was mine. This is, okay, God, we'll, we'll try you a little bit. Here you go. I think this is what we're supposed to do. And the devil hooks you. Because when I left that hospital, it wasn't one week before that uh, I was smoking dope again in the stairwell apartment. It only took one week for the devil to hook me again. 
And so I went back home, and I was supposed to be in a church play, and, and the devil again hooks me, and I ran into old college buddies, and uh, before I even realized it, instead of going to the church play rehearsal, I went out to a, a big, you know, party bonfire, and, and I'm there with a joint in my hand and a beer in my hand, and, and I realized, you know, I, I'm, I'm just reminiscing about the good old party days with all these, these guys, you know, and people, and next thing I realized, the night turned really surreal, almost like people looking through me. I'm, I'm standing right there and like, hello, hello. It's like people couldn't see me anymore. And I just kind of walk over to this fire and I got, you know, joint beer in my hand and this fire gets really hot and really deep. And I heard as clear as I've ever heard, do you need another lion, son? I heard God ask me, do you need another lion? No, God, I'm done. I was done running. That was my wake-up, my second wake-up call. Wow. And I grabbed that junk, and I threw it into the fire. Wow. And that night, I realized, let me try something. I was so scared to let go of my party friends because I didn't want to turn and be this holy roller by myself. <sighs> let me try something. And when I put that foot on God's path, that same peace that my dad talked about, that same peace that I felt up on that trail when I saw his sweet face, rush through me again. That's what I have to do. I got to build everything I am and put it on God's path. Every part of me on God's path. If it's not a God, it's get it out of my life. Mm -hmm. And once I have that relationship right, now I can turn and have that right with my wife, with my kids, with my family. And, and now it's real. Now it's real. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. That's incredible. Now, amazingly, you're not going to believe this, that encounter with the mountain lion was the not, not the last time you encountered a mountain lion. So tell us about the next time. God's got humor. <laughs> so quickly, the uh, um, Sunday day off, God, uh, uh, I got a call from, uh, from the park ranger, and he said, you got to get over to this house. Uh, there's, a tree, there's a mountain lion trapped up a guy's tree. We think it's the same one from what you've told us. And, and so I rush over there, and there's authority, you know, police vehicles and wildlife vehicles. And, and so when I walked in, everybody kind of parted to the, to the back door, you know, off the deck there. Um, there's patio doors there. And so I walk up, and I look up, and I see this lion just sitting in this tree up in his backyard. And, and the uh, got to brush my, my hand on its side after they put a couple darts, and we caught it in a tarp. And you could just feel the muscles, just the ripples. And I'm looking at this thing, and I actually felt sorry for the lion now. It's kind of like you're in, you're in my territory. But the, uh, the broken paw healed. It was crooked over the, over the winter. It was about a 110-pound female. There was about a one-inch scar with a little bit of hair gone up on the, on the head, right in the middle of the head, and the right eye was missing. Same one. So I, at the time, I said, you know, I, uh, I've tried best to keep the integrity of this story. God's story so that people can hopefully take something from it and better their lives or something so I wanted to hey you let this lion go if everything's okay and they let her let her go 40 miles southwest of Denver that day wow very humbling wow very humbling that's incredible that's incredible one last thing the the, the first time you opened up a bible <laughs> you came across a verse 
that has become very meaningful to you. Why don't you share that with us? I sat in the back. I knew I had to talk with somebody, and there was a church a block away from my apartment. So I sit in the back, and sorry, Pastor, I don't even remember what the sermon was about. Uh, No one ever does. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all take that up with him later. (laughs) So I sat in the back. And I'm just, I have a bandana in my head. I, I, I look rough. I look like I just walked out of a, uh, under a rock or from a bar. You know, I, I look rough because I couldn't wash my hair for three months. But I knew I had to talk with somebody. And, and, and I'm staring at this Bible in the back of the chair. And I remember my dad always saying, you know, he loved the book of Peter. And so I pick up the book, go to the index. And my first verse I ever read in the Bible, you don't think God talks to us. All we got to do is shut up, stop, and listen. And he wants to guide us, and he, wants, he loves us so much. And so I'm looking, and I open to the Peter, and the first verse I ever read in the Bible wasn't John 3, 16. 1 Peter 5, 8. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, roams around looking for someone to devour. Resist him and stand firm in the faith. That was the first verse I ever read in the Bible. I'm, I almost fell out of the chair. I, I, you're kidding me. And another verse that I found... So that one's about how the devil's trying to eat us up. The other verse that I found was 2 Chronicles 16.9. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Hmm. I would go through a thousand lion attacks again to get the peace and the joy and the blessings that I have today. Because everybody's got a mountain lion attack. They're dealing with something, a death, an illness, an addiction, something. And if we just pause and we trust our best friend, Lord and Savior, Jesus, and we build our life on that solid rock, this world can't take us down. Mm. You know, it can't. Either you're living for Jesus or you're not. There's no gray area. Ladies, let no man tell you different. You are so precious in God's eyes, period, period. He loves you so much. Men, that family, that, that wife, those kids that are next to you, those are blessings. Be the man of God and stand up for them and, and, and support that, you know, hand in hand and run after Jesus. You will be so fulfilled, so fulfilled. So instead of living for my life, it's almost like rising tide lifts all boats. If I can live, whether it's in, in a grocery store, helping, holding the door for somebody or something, if I can just pause, there's always a bigger picture if my day doesn't go right as scheduled. There's a bigger picture to where, all right, what are you doing, God? And there's always a moment where you can just shine a little bit of his light that can never be put out, a little bit of that hope that is so real, and a little bit of that peace and joy, but it only comes from Jesus. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So true. That sense of peace, that sense of being grounded in something, I know that's something that we're, we're all looking for. And I, I don't know about you guys, but I hear Andy's story, and it reminds me of how short life is, of how urgent things are that we don't actually know when it's all going to end. And it's, it's a wake-up call. There are probably some of you here who are hearing this, and you're relating to his story, not, not because you've been through a mountain lion attack, but because you say, you know what? My life could end. And, and I've been going down a path. Maybe, maybe you haven't gotten caught in an addiction. Maybe you have. Uh, maybe, maybe you're going down a path and you're realizing this is not going to go anywhere well. And, and you realize, I need to be rescued. I need to be saved. And, and so this is, this is what I want to do. I, I want to share with you what Andy's dad shared with him in the hospital. You know, the fact that, that when we go our way instead of God's way, it, it leads us nowhere good. It leads us. If we disconnect from the giver of life, it leads just to death. 
But God loves us far too much, far too much to leave us there. He doesn't want us wandering off on that path. He's like the, the dad in the prodigal son story. He wants his children to come home to him. And so this is what he did. He showed up himself. Jesus Christ walked the earth and he said, I'm here to take your pain, your suffering, the consequences of your sin. In fact, I'm going to take the death that you deserve and I'm going to die for you. That's what Jesus was doing on the cross. He was saying, all of this, all that you deserve, all that, that, that you brought into the world and into your life, I'm taking it on me so that you don't have to. I'll take the punishment and you can go free. And, and the good news is that after Jesus died, he didn't stay dead. He, he came back to life in three days to offer us life and hope and transformation. It's the reason we can have that peace that Andy experienced. It's because he is alive and here offering, saying, will you come to me? And so that's the question for you. What will you do about that offer? Will you embrace it? Will you take it? Will you surrender to Jesus and say, all right, I'm on that path. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you a chance today to pray a prayer. It's, it's really simple. There's nothing magical about this, but we found that this is a, a great way to express a desire to begin a relationship with Jesus. It just has three parts. really simple. You say, I'm sorry. Thank you and please. You say, God, I'm sorry for going my way instead of your way. I know I'm wrong. You say, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me and rising from the dead. And you say, please, God, forgive me, free me, make me part of your family, give me a hope and a future. And so there, there are some of you here at each of our campuses that, that are saying, that's what I need. I've never done that. Or maybe I did it a long time ago, but it, it, it wasn't something I really meant. I, I need to do that now. And so I want to give you a chance to do that. We're going to take a moment here and pray. And if that's you, I want you to pray along with me. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we want to come and surrender to you. And so this is what we say. God, I say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I have gone my own way instead of your way. Every single day I do things that I know you don't want me to do. And I fail to do the things that you asked me to do. I know that I am wrong and I'm sorry. Just take a, a moment right now in silence in your heart to express I'm sorry to God. The next part of that prayer is just to say thank you. Thank you to God. Thank you, Jesus, that you, you didn't leave me in the mess that I had made for myself. Thank you, Jesus, you didn't leave me in my sin. Thank you, Jesus, for showing up and dying on the cross, doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. Thank you, Jesus, for defeating death, for rising from the dead so that I could have life and hope. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Take a, take a moment in your own way, in your own heart, Express thanks to God. And, and now say, please. Please, God, forgive my sin. Please, God, set me free from those things that have enslaved me. God, please start to transform me and make me new. God, please welcome me into your family. Please give me a hope, a future, both in this life and eternity. 
Say please to God. Take a moment to do that. God, we want to thank you that every time someone calls on you and says those things, sorry, thank you, please, I surrender to you, that you rescue and save. You, you, you don't leave anyone behind. You, you offer your salvation and hope. And so we know that each person today that has just prayed that prayer is now part of your family. They are forgiven. They are free. And we are so, so grateful for that. God, I pray for each one of those people that you would walk with them, that, that even now they'd experience a sense of your presence, your peace, that you would surround them with people over the coming days and weeks to walk with them, to talk with them about the decision they've made. God, I pray that you would begin to grow them, open up your word to them, help them start to walk with you and begin a new life. God, we're so, so thankful, and we pray that you would uh, bring your sons and daughters into a, a deeper and deeper relationship with you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, can we thank Andy for sharing his story with us? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.